Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, my guest, Lorene Lambertino Orquizo, was born and raised in Chicago's south suburbs and had three children. She studied art history at several universities and taught on the college level. Well into her adulthood, Lorene began experiencing difficulty in climbing stairs. With advancements in medical science, and after many years, Lorene was ultimately diagnosed with a rare disease called limb muscular dystrophy. She joins me today to talk about the road to the correct diagnosis, how her chronic illness affects daily activities, and why she asserts that she is indeed thriving. Stay tuned at the end of this episode for the very first time when I incorporate the Mindful Minute for you to practice at your leisure in your favorite space. Please don't forget to connect with me at yogimd.net for more information about the podcast, subscribing to it, sharing it, and for practicing yoga with me. Any sound of ringing bells or uh, meows is my cat, so <laughs> we'll just get that out here at this point. He's very cute, and he Thank might you. actually be the bio or the picture cover yes, art yes, for this episode. Right, right. I'm from this area. I was born in 1952 right here in Chicago Heights. We moved to Crete. I grew up there. I had a very normal childhood. Uh, I look back and I can see that I had certain characteristics and clues um, even back then that something was going to happen. And one thing, I was, I was a chubby kid and I was never good at sports. I would go through gym classes and see everybody else do all these things and I never could. And it just never registered with me that, you know, there was something wrong. Um, so say a little bit more about that. How did you feel? Did you feel, not ostracized, that would be the wrong word, but did you... No, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, there's a certain amount of ostracism when you're a chubby kid growing up. Mm. I didn't fit in with all the other kids because I didn't do the same things that they did. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was a physical thing or not. And maybe this would be a good time to give a, a little background about what it is that I have, what chronic illness is. Okay, yes, please do. So the reason why I wanted to have you on here today is because you are a person that I admire. We're connected on Thank social you. media Thank and you're you. one of my yoga students in aqua yoga once upon a time. But what I like about your posts, you're not afraid to be vulnerable to be honest, unless we really can start to hear someone else's voice and start to maybe try to understand and be willing to understand another perspective that's not a part of our everyday life, mm -hmm. then how can we be empathetic people? And so that's what drew me to wanting to do this interview with you today. Okay. And I know you're going to dive in and tell us about... Uh, your disease process, and I want to talk about how you deal with it, what everyday life is like. I know it's been a struggle to get to the right diagnosis. Mm -hmm. 
and to share your perspective in terms of what is life like? What wouldn't we be aware of a person who takes being able, mm -hmm. in quotes, to do things for, for granted? granted. Yes. What does it feel like not to be able to do those things necessarily? So that's kind of an okay. overview of what I wanted to talk about. Okay, so. that's good. And, and I think I have a good perspective of that because the first half of my life, until I was 50, I didn't have this issue. It was only at that point that things started to change. And so I can see life from both sides now. And also, I'm, I'm also a very um, ardent believer in the truth. Uh, I never try to be somebody that I'm not. And I'm always very frank with people. I want to tell people how I feel and live my truth. <clears throat> when I was about 50, I was teaching on the college level as an adjunct um, instructor, and I started to notice that I couldn't <clears throat> walk upstairs very well. And so as time went on, uh, that problem let me know that I needed to, to consult a doctor uh, about it. When I was, well, even going back further, when I was born, um, I inherited thalassemia minor, mm -hmm. or Mediterranean anemia, because my father's family was from Italy. And this is a, a genetic anemia, anemia that gets passed on, and there's a major and a minor form. And luckily, I had the minor form. So my parents, every year around September, my birthday, they would take me up to the University of Chicago to see doctors. So that just kind of got ingrained in me. So I'm not the kind of person that never goes to doctors or doesn't like that. On the contrary, I admire medicine. It's always been like a, I don't know, like a sort of a hobby for me to read things and under, try to understand the workings of the human body. And I have an awful lot of respect for doctors and nurses. So went to the University of Chicago and um, one thing they found out at that time, this is right around the year 2000, they found out that I had uh, developed type 2 diabetes. So that changed my life considerably. And I went from weighing 305 pounds, I dropped about 80 pounds. It, and I did it by mostly cutting out, drinking pop, mm. eating, having bad um, dietary habits, and I became much more um, interested in food and nutrition and what you put in your body. And I started to start thinking about food as, as medicine. And so mm. it's all interconnected. Mm. So at that point, they did a muscle biopsy. Actually, they did two. And they did a, a rather painful uh, test called an EMG, where they put little, uh, almost like acupuncture pins into your muscles to make you move. Mm -hmm. And those, those um, needles are hooked up to a computer, and it shows how healthy that muscle is, what's going on inside of you. Okay. So it took a while to get the test results back because they have to look at the biopsies under electron microscope, and it came back that I had a form of muscular dystrophy called inclusion body myositis. Mm -hmm. 
And the inclusion bodies are these vacuoles that they could see in the cells. And they could only see one of them, though, on my back. So it was kind of a half diagnosis. But this is what we think so far. Right. This is what we think so far. And this is in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. There's no treatment for that disease. There's no cure for the disease. And it affects people usually from 50 on. It was it had only been discovered, I think, maybe in the 70s, 60s or 70s. Of course, they had, you know, people would develop this before, but it was only really written up and, and researched around that time. And most muscular dystrophy, when you think about it, uh, happens with children. Mm -hmm. You know, they get this really early on in life. So this is something I was under the assumption that I had this for many years. And my neurologist at the University of Chicago told me, you know, you have kind of an atypical case because I have other patients with this and their disease progression is a little different mm. than yours. I read about this, I tried to research it, and I started to take vitamins, certain supplements. And she kind of poo-pooed that and said, oh, you know, that's fine, but it's not necessary. And you might be wasting your money. I said, no, I think I'm doing okay. I was taking fish oil, coenzyme Q10, vitamin D. I was taking hmm, two other things. So anyway, I was taking these vitamins. And after a couple of years that I was still walking fine and using a cane uh, eventually, she said, what were those vitamins that you were taking? Because I want to I wanna tell my other patients. Mm -hmm. So, And how did you find out about taking those? Reading. Just doing a lot of reading research. Research, okay. research and reading. I'm a, mm -hmm. a big one on that. I decided to change neurologists. And I moved, I went to the University of Illinois in Chicago to their neuromuscular a clinic because I felt, you know, they might have another perspective on this. Mm -hmm. It started off just getting a second opinion. And I saw a doctor there and he said, you know, I just, I'm not convinced you have inclusion body myositis. And he wanted all my biopsy results and not even just the written reports. He wanted the actual biopsies okay, so he could see them. And he said, you know, let's, let's do some genetic testing. And truthfully, back in 2000, genetic testing wasn't available. They hadn't, they hadn't gotten to that point yet. So mm -hmm. I, do, I blame nobody about this. So they had me spit in a little test tube, mm -hmm. fill it up, mm -hmm. send it off, and it came back that, lo and behold, I didn't have inclusion body myositis after all. What I had was much more akin to a, another form of muscular dystrophy called limb girdle, limb girdle muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different variants of it. Um, the one that I have is 2J. And so what they found was that I have four variants or mutations to the Titan gene. The Titan gene is the largest gene in your body. And I suspect now 
that more people have these tightened abnormalities than has been even imagined before. Okay. And seriously, I mean, now you see Ancestry.com and, mm -hmm. and all of these different places. People are doing uh, genetic testing. What is it? One, two, three. I think there's mm -hmm. one called, mm -hmm. like, called that. And more of this is going to come out. So these of these four variants, they have words for this, uh, homogeneous and heterogeneous. Um, some of them are like pathological, they can be harmful, mm -hmm. and some of them aren't. Okay. So, but the kind that I have, out of the four, there's three that can be harmful. One causes mus muscle weakness. And the muscle weakness is specific locations, correct? Well, yeah. From Like in my case, it's mostly in the girdle area. Okay. Um, my hip flexor muscles at this point are just practically useless. And this is why going upstairs would right. be an issue. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You can't lift your leg, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I can't do stairs anymore. Mm -hmm. It also means that getting out of chairs mm -hmm. is it, or off of a toilet Absolutely. is a big problem. Because you don't have that ability to lift yourself mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. You have to um, rely on your upper body strength, mm -hmm. your hands mm -hmm. and so on mm -hmm. to lift you. So muscle weakness is one of these problems. A second one joining the muscle weakness is respiratory muscle weakness. Mm. So that means I can't lie down anymore, you know, for a nap or lie down on the couch and watch TV or uh, in a recliner because uh, I can't recline without pressurized air to help my respiratory muscles bring in the air and also to expel it. Okay. So every night I sleep uh, with a BiPAP. Mm -hmm. And going back to the 1990s, they thought that I had uh, sleep apnea. And I would do sleep studies, and I was on a, a CPAP, because even then they didn't understand what this was. So sure. I don't really have primarily um, sleep apnea. What I have is weak respiratory muscles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have to have, a, now what I have is a non-invasive ventilator. Ventilator, uh, I get to that, assist your breathing. Yes, I wear a mask and that blows the pressurized mm -hmm. air mm -hmm. uh, into my lungs and allows me to lie down and sleep. Okay. So that's the second one, is the weak respiratory muscles. And the third one is a heart uh, issue. It's a heart involvement that a lot of people that have these tighten myopathies, as they're called, have often get um, cardiomyopathy. And I'm not exactly sure which form, because there's different forms of it, but it has manifested itself in me <clears throat> that my lower left ventricle, the walls of that, are thickened and they're too tight. Mm. So in between heartbeats, the heart doesn't relax mm -hmm, enough mm -hmm to pump more mm -hmm, mm -hmm, blood. Mm -hmm. And the way that they treat that uh, is through diuretics. So I take a lot of diuretics. And that means when I do that, boy, I better be close to a bathroom. Because right. you have to pee all the mm -hmm, time. I mm -hmm. mean, I don't know how, any better way of putting it. So those are the three things that it does.
And now, some almost 20 years later, I am still walking. I have to use a walker. I'm not in a wheelchair. Um, and I'm holding my own, trying to do my best. But uh, living with a chronic illness or a disability presents really unique problems. And I, I always think, boy, there should be a manual that you're presented with when you become disabled so you know how to deal with this stuff because there isn't one. There is nothing. You have to figure this all out on your, by yourself. As you're getting into this really juicy discussion of what it's like to mm -hmm. live now that you have established diagnosis, what's a best day like? What's a worst day like? Oh, that's totally unpredictable. Just depends. Um, I have good days and I have bad days. Mm -hmm. Most of my energy is manifested early on in the day. So if I'm going to do something, it's best I do it early mm -hmm. because by five, six o'clock at night, you're I'm, tired. I'm tired. I'm pretty much useless at that point. So I don't go out at night anymore. Um, I always have friends that want to go to the theater, or the movies, or a concert or something. I just can't do it. I, it's not that I can't do it. It's pushing myself. Mm -hmm. It would be pushing myself to a point where I would pay for it the next day. Mm -hmm. I've tried to make sure that I, as a priority in my life, that I get enough sleep every night. And in order to do that, I uh, have a set pattern where I will shoot for not eight hours, seven or eight hours of sleep. I shoot for nine or 10. That's become really, really important to me. That's one of my priorities. Get enough sleep, eat the right things. And I can, I can see that that really makes a difference for me. I, I love my house. I moved in this house four years ago, and it's totally suited for somebody with a handicap because the man who lived here before uh, was in a wheelchair all his life. For, uh, he was suffering from spina bifida. And so he outfitted this house uh, very well for a person with a handicap especially mobility issues. So there's no steps mm -hmm. anywhere. Mm -hmm. The bathroom, he took out the bathtub and has a walk-in shower. Uh, there's bars everywhere mm -hmm. uh, to hold on to, mm -hmm. even around the toilet, so I can hold on to those bars mm -hmm. and lift myself up, and also in the shower. And he has a gas generator in the backyard, and that was the real selling point for me because with the machines that I used at night, and for a while, for many years, I was using oxygen in addition to the, um, the BiPAP machine. Uh, although I, we lear I learned later, you shouldn't use oxygen for people with, with uh, neuromuscular uh, or respiratory weakness issues. 
that somehow tells the body that it doesn't have to work as hard to get the oxygen. That's interesting. And see, so much of this stuff people don't know. So that's another issue. When people are ill and say they come down with the flu and they have to go to the emergency room, Mm -hmm. the preponderance of information is on that sick person or their caretaker to transmit to the staff at the hospital. Because a lot of doctors, first of all, aren't very familiar with genetic diseases. Mm -hmm. Because they're rare. Right. Or how to treat them. Mm -hmm. So if I were to pass out or something um, and the EMTs came, uh, they might try to give me oxygen. And that would be probably the worst thing that they could do. And they would do that in good faith because that's the normal procedure. But I have a packet of information held onto my refrigerator with a magnet that says emergency on it. And that will tell them I have respiratory muscle weakness. Do not give me oxygen. Give me pressurized air. Mm. This is always a fear of mine. In fact, I made myself a little necklace with a dog tag that says that I have respiratory weakness. Mm -hmm. Don't give oxygen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if I were ever in a car accident, if I was ever lying flat, um, I might not survive because I wouldn't be able to breathe. Yeah. What else characterizes a typical day? People with with chronic diseases often... You know, you wake up and it's like you you ask your body, which way is the wind blowing today? Because some days are good and some days are bad. It just depends. And there's so many variables. And I've, you know, I've, over the years, I've had so many specialists and I've talked to them about this. And I, why do I feel good one day? Why do I feel bad the next day? And there could be all kinds of things going on in your body that you don't even know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I had one pulmonologist said, you could have a little virus in your lungs. You know, you might not really, it might not really manifest itself really strongly, but you could have something going on. So <clears throat> to that point, I don't have immune issues or, mm-hmm. or any chronic illnesses that I know of. Yes. If my immune system is busy forming antibodies to a virus, it's going to take less energy for my body to do that compared to yours. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's interesting that you put it that way. I didn't really think of it that way before, but you're, you're absolutely right. And so these are like benign things that come to anybody. You know, we, we live in society where people get sick and they don't just... Their lives don't just stop and mm-hmm. stay home. Mm-hmm. They're out there, and you might just get a little bit of something and have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And you j- might not even understand what's going on. I can easily get in my car right now and come and do this interview with you. I can teach my classes. I can go home and make dinner. It feels indulgent now, even telling you this. And it's really interesting the the reaction that I'm having to the discussion that we're having. 
I can decide if I want to do an active an evening activity because I'm not necessarily going to pay for it. I can decide, okay, it's it'll be fine for me to be tired tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I can deal with it. Not that it's really going to necessarily impact my day adversely the next day. Because you can bounce back. Yeah, it it so it it's even though I'm understanding what you're saying mm-hmm. on an intellectual level. I'm not, I don't live your life. I don't right. know what it's really, truly like. That's interesting that you said you could get into your car because my dreams are of me getting into a car, going to a store, shopping, walking around, visiting people. I dream of walking, I dream of running. Uh, I dream of skiing, something I used to love when I was younger. But I can't do any of that anymore. But the thing that I really like to tell people is don't take anything for granted. Appreciate everything that you have in your life because at any point, any, any one of us can get sick and become disabled. That's it can, true. It can happen. That's true. And... Now we have the good and bad of medical science is that it's gotten to be so good mm-hmm. that people can survive and live where, I don't know, 50, 100 years ago, they would develop things sure. that you wouldn't survive. Undoubtedly. So people are living longer mm-hmm. and um, hopefully better. However, uh, there's a lot of dementia, a lot of Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other unforeseen factors that come with older age. Well, there's more chronic disease for sure because of the long, because the longer you live, the more likely you're going to become to develop some form of chronic illness, arthritis, heart disease, just, just by the fact that you are living longer. Right. I have to be my best my own best advocate for my health. I have to be an instructor, even to doctors that don't understand or don't have much knowledge of genetic illnesses. Um, you have to you have to know what's going on if you want to survive. And I and I look at it like that. So I try to read as much as I can. I try to um, carry in my purse. I carry around a packet of information about what I what I have, what's wrong with me. Uh, last summer, I attended a medical conference in downtown Chicago on this whole thing of congenital muscle diseases. You have to teach yourself, and you have to speak up, and you have to be assertive. You definitely don't strike me as a victim at all. There's nothing about the how you've been talking, there's nothing about how you describe no. the mm-hmm. uh, adjustments that you've had to make and things. It's a, it's just, there's this posture of this is just what is and this is how I'm living with this and I'm I'm fortunate to have had this medical care that I've had. Absolutely. To have the diagnosis made correctly, to know how to deal with the symptomology, the day-to-day basis, to be fortunate enough to be in this beautiful home that was pretty much made for you. Yeah, okay. it really was. Is there freedom 
in having your chronic illness. Yeah, that's, see, that freedom is a, is a weird word because it, it can mean so much to so many different things to so many people. Um, first of all, I think I, like I said before about the appreciation thing, um, yeah, I have this illness, but I really consider myself kind of fortunate. I have lost so many friends to breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, accidents, other diseases. You know, I made it to 67 years old. My father didn't make it past 52. Mm. So, you you know, I count myself very fortunate that, yeah, I've got these, these issues, I've got this condition, but I can live with it. And I don't know how long I'm going to live. My mother made it to 90. We'll see. But um, do you know that approximately 80% of older people have at least one chronic disease? Oh, yes. And 77% have at least two. Mm-hmm. See, I did my some research. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be something that is going to affect a lot of people, some some form of chronic disease. And, you know, we have to figure out ways that we could make it easier for these people mm-hmm. when they when they develop it, because it's very perplexing. Like I said, there's no manual that comes with a disease, and there's no one-size-fits-all. Absolutely. And, you know, I've got to, I've got to say here, um, I would love to speak to architects and you read designers. my mind. That was the next. You read yes. my mind. That was the next question. What about navigating stores? Oh and, my gosh! Um, anywhere, public transportation, buildings. We could we could do so much better. We could build buildings that would be very inclusive for all people. And here's here's the hard part. One person's chronic illness is going to manifest itself in one way. And another person's is going to be different. And you have to plan for all of it. Like my mobility issues uh, mean that I can't use stairs, that I, I, I can't go and visit a friend because they might have a front step. Or they might have a toilet that's too low and I would not be able to get off of it without somebody helping me. So I, it, it limits you so much. And there's ways that they can do this and they need to include all the possibilities and they could build that into it. And I think that those homes or buildings or whatever would be um, possibly even more um, valuable later because they would have that already in there. And, and our society is moving towards those issues. Everything is designed to be sexy, youthful. That's our society's message, to stay young at all yes, costs. Yes. And so we're not really thinking on a practical level, mm-hmm. making things shelves lower, right. making even the kitchen counters maybe a little bit lower. Making the entryways to how uh, to doorways in Why? your house. I couldn't have the 
refrigerator that I wanted that would be easier for me, <coughs> excuse me, to get into because the doorway's not wide enough. Hmm. So, and from an economic reason, yes, you want people to stay home longer. It's not, it's not cost effective to put people in nursing homes. And it's not good for them, really. It's too expensive. I have two caretakers that come in three times a week. I have somebody who comes in and helps me. And it's, you know, it, oftentimes it's just throwing out the garbage. It's difficult for me because I have to have my walker with two hands. Um, it just would never have occurred to me, right? Because I don't live it. I consider myself to be a person who has empathy. I want to. I'm very willing. But it just would never occur to me that, oh, if I'm holding on to the handles of a walker, I can't really be pushing or pulling something else. I can't sweep the floor. I can't mop the floor. I can't vacuum. Um, there's so much that I can't do anymore because all my strength has to go onto those these two handles here to keep my body straight and up and walking. So, like I said, you know, you don't, it's not one size fits all. You have to, you know, consider all the things that can happen. I, and let me tell you, one of the worst offenders is, is the bathroom, going to the bathroom. You know, you might go to a person, they have a ranch style house on one level. You might be able to go and visit them. But what about going to the bathroom? And the, I'll tell you, the worst offender that I ever found was in a hospital. The hospital, I, I was visiting uh, a hospital, I won't name which one, and the toilet was not a standard toilet. It was a, a low-to-the-ground one with nothing to, no, no grip no bars. bars, nothing. And I could not believe that this was a hospital and they did this. And a second That's hospital, really yeah, last April, I had to do another sleep study. And I had to go into the hospital. And the hospital had a section of the floor where <clears throat> they did the sleep, their sleep lab. Well, when I went in there, I found that they did not have a room for disabled people. The bathrooms of the rooms they did have were so tiny I couldn't even enter with my walker, and it was just a, a, a toilet and a shower in there. And around the t uh, toilet, there were no handlebars, no grip bars. And also, this was in April, and it was that time of year where the temperatures were varying. And so they had the heat on still. And there was no way to open the window. So it had to be close to 80 degrees in that room. And they expected me to do a sleep study. I couldn't sleep because of the heat. Mm -hmm. It was too much. Mm -hmm. And I, there was no toilet. I had to walk all the way down the hall to another room that had a disabled bathroom. So this is me. I got on the phone. And I called the hospital administration and I asked to speak to somebody. 
And I said, um, I told them, I'm in your hospital. I'm disabled. I can't use the bathroom. Uh, I'm having a problem here. And uh, I want you to <clears throat> help me solve this to get through this night. Or I'm going to write a letter to one of the downtown newspapers, a letter to the editor, telling them how this very expensive, wonderful hospital uh, has a sleep lab that is totally unsuitable for disabled people. Let me tell you, within an hour, there was a porta potty brought in for me. Wow. And the next day, uh, I had all kinds of administrators calling me, uh, talking to me. Uh, the, the head of the lab <clears throat> said that he had been pushing for things like this for years, but there was just never money for it. And so they have now, they've now designated one room for disabled patients. They put in air conditioners. They redid the toilet with handlebars and everything. It's got an ADA, Americans for Disabilities Act, um, toilet that's 21 inches off of the ground, so it's much easier. They made all of those things, and <clears throat> excuse me, and they even invited me to come back and take a look at it after they did this. This is one of the best things I have heard in a long time. How wonderful. This is empowering yourself. This is advocating for yourself. This is you being have vocal. To. This is you have to. this is just what bravo thank you and thank you for doing well that. <clears throat> you know it was for me to get through that night obviously but what about other people who come into there and would not have said anything no and that's the thing the, actually some of the technicians who were helping me that night she they said you know we have other this has happened to other people and then they don't come back so they lose business and and sleep studies are not inexpensive they don't they don't make the phone calls. They don't they don't yell and, and say anything. Hey, you know, these are my rights. I need this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so nothing gets changed. Mm -hmm. And I'm a real believer in the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Oh my goodness. You're reminding me of Ashton Applewhite. You know, just that interview <laughs> was wonderful too. She's an advocate for it or she's a champion of anti ageism and she talks Good she her. really talked about in our interview how we have to have a voice and we have to use yes. that voice to get cultural change. And you have to do it nicely, you know? But it's the iron fist and the velvet glove. Mm. You, you, don't, you, don't, you can't compromise on mm -hmm. stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And for a hospital not to have that, those accessibility features, is, it's unfathomable. How can you do that? Can I make a plug for cannabis as medicine? Sure. Because I think that's really important, especially for handicapped people. I think it's really important. Pain management? <clears throat> exactly. We don't have, like I don't have the medications available for tr to treat my illness. There aren't cures. There aren't, there aren't um, treatments. Uh, so I had to find ways to be able to sleep at night mm -hmm. without 
going to opioids. Mm. With this crisis in our country, mm-hmm. with opioid uh, addiction, mm-hmm. you have to find other ways to deal with your pain rather than popping a pill. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I was 16, I smoked grass to get high. And then once I turned, I got into my 20s and I got married and I had my kids, I put those childish things away because I wanted my kids not to be exposed to anything like that. Mm -hmm. And about four or five years ago, a friend of mine who has horrible cervical uh, cervical spine uh, injuries and now they're deteriorating and she mm. has horrible pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she started to uh, use cannabis. And she doesn't call it marijuana or grass or reefer or any of those words. It's cannabis. And she treats it seriously and professionally as medicine. And it truly is. And <clears throat> so I started using it a little bit. And I found I got relief. I was able to relax at night, get a little drowsy, and alleviate some of the pain that I have in my legs. I have almost like a neuralgic pain in the muscles in my legs that makes it very difficult to sleep. So I got my uh, medical cannabis license here in Illinois. The program has been in place since... uh, the Quinn administration, and it didn't do too well during the uh, Rauner years. But now, with Pritzker in office, um, we're going to be we're going to see legalization January the first. And some people like that idea, and some people don't, and that's fine. You know, people can believe what they want to believe, but believe this: that medical cannabis helps people, and it improves their lives. And for people with chronic illness that don't have treatments, uh, their only other choice is opioids for pain Mm -hmm. relief. Mm -hmm. And you cannot live a life full of pain. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. just can't. Mm -hmm. You, you, it will crush your soul. So people are are using it. I I don't smoke. I want to preserve my lung function. My lung function is. As, as best I can, mm-hmm. but I take a little gummy every night mm-hmm. before I go to bed, and it helps me sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really helps a lot. This is the thing, is that as you get older, things can happen like that. You can develop a gout, you can develop shingles. You know, you have to be prepared for what can come and educate yourself. So I I encourage people, do as much reading as you can. You know, stay alert, stay aware of of what what can happen. You definitely have to be proactive. Yes. Yeah. And advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. and ask questions. Right. And make sure when you go to your doctor's office, because I had conversations with people and they don't really understand. Right. What the doctor said or or what's going on. And it's really important. It's your health. It's your body. You must advocate. You must understand. It is also up to you. It's a partnership. Your doctor's not your daddy. 
That's right. Not mommy. <clears throat> they are there because they have some expertise. Okay. And it's up to you to ask questions. And it's write up them to you to down. demand. Write them down because <clears throat> every time I go to the doctor, I come back with a whole list of everything that they said because it goes by so fast mm -hmm. and you come home and you say, what did they say? Mm -hmm. Or what have someone with me? you yes. to help with that. Yes. Yeah. But taking notes is really important. And also, the this is really important to me just personally. The quality of care that you get is so important. Go to the best doctors you can. And for me, that's always been in the teaching hospitals. We're so fortunate here, so close to Chicago, to have these wonderful teaching institutions with the best medical minds um, in the Midwest. I, I have the best doctors. What a lovely conversation. Thank you. How honored am I to have had this time with you? Nadine, I have to say that, you know, what, five years ago, maybe I, six years ago, I started taking that pool yoga class with you. And you've taught me so many things that I've been able to really use in my life. Oh, I appreciate that. Primarily yogic breathing. Also, all of those exercises with your shoulders and posture and sitting up straight and doing all those things and aligning your body. Um, I am so sorry I didn't learn yoga as a young person and had years of it. I try to tell people, try yoga, try yoga, because you just don't realize how wonderful it is until you actually do it. Yes. And I couldn't have had a I couldn't have had a better yoga teacher than you. It Thank was you. you're just amazing. So and I respect you and your knowledge on so many different levels and your sensitivity. You're like one of my favorite people. Thank you. No, I, I mean you. it. I absolutely mean that. You've helped me a lot. Every day. There's people that are here to serve others, and then there's people on this earth that believe that. They're here to be served. And you are one of those who very unselfishly serve others. And to me, that's the highest calling that anybody could ever have, is to help one another. Thank you. Now that I'm all teary, <laughs> my last question is what it means to you to be healthy. Everything. I mean, that's, that's, that's the important thing there right there is... How do I stay healthy? And I walk this very narrow path health-wise um, because I've got so many issues. You know, I've got, I've got a lot of medical issues, probably more than most people have. Um, so staying healthy means getting enough sleep every night, eating correctly, I've changed my eating habits so astoundingly. I, and that's a good thing. Looking into certain supplements that might help you and lots of fruit and vegetables and I stay away from sugars and simple carbohydrates mm -hmm. and I'm eating more whole grains. Um, I have a little 
vegetable garden that my cousin keeps for me on the back porch every summer so we have fresh tomatoes and things. And keep yourself informed, read, research. You know, I don't know how I ever survived without Google before. Um, but there's so much information there. And be discerning about your information. You know, there's lots of voices on the, the Internet that aren't giving you really good data. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then get good doctors and follow your doctor's advice. Do what you can. And for as long as you can and enjoy your life. And keep keep busy. Keep your mind awake and aware. Um, read a lot. Enjoy life. And be appreciative of the time that we do have here and make it the best it can be. And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. Cobra Pose instills courage and it strengthens your back muscles. Here's a version in the chair. Please sit in Mountain Pose in a chair with a wide seat. Place your hands on either side of your hips, palms down, and with your fingers pointing forward. Press your hands down into the seat, or if that's uncomfortable, you can also make fists. Lift your chest and gaze to the ceiling and inhale. Make sure to keep the back of your neck long, about the width of your palm, so that your head does not fall back too far. Also, don't forget to keep your shoulders relaxed and your shoulder blades firmly and gently away from your ears and slightly in towards one another. Continue to breathe here for several breaths. To exit the pose, sit straight and gently twist from a straight spine side to side in your chair. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Thank you.